Hi. All right, I don't I really don't plan on keeping us here real late tonight, maybe just till about 10. Um, so let's get right, let's get right. Hallelujah. You know I'm kidding, I'm way too old to preach that long, so don't worry. Second Timothy chapter two. And several verses here, starting in verse number 24. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this passage of Scripture in detail, but I want us to go ahead and pray. I want us to talk about, for several moments tonight, about the three arenas, the three arenas. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your spirit, your word, your people, all of the things that you've blessed us with, your presence that's in our midst. Father, I pray that the word of God will help us to connect the dots to the bigger picture of what we're all really a part of every time we gather together. We give you the praise, the glory, the honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There are three definable arenas. Now, when I talk about that we are in arenas, I am talking about that we are potentially in an environment of conflict in which there will be an outcome. There must be an outcome. Um, the very first arena is, I believe, described in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. If you'd go there for us, Brother Andrew. Hebrews 12 and 1, wherefore... Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What I'd really like us to take a closer look at is this right here. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Multiplied biblical expositors agree that this is describing us actually being watched. We are being viewed by the eternal world. And in this case, it's talking about a great 
cloud of witnesses, Dr. Marvin Treese, one of the greatest scholars of the apostolic movement in the 20th century, said that it is closely tied to a reference like the Colosseum at Rome. Now, this is, this is a staggering thought to think that all of those that are detailed throughout the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11, even characters like Samson and Rahab and David and the prophets and Abraham and Noah and so on and so forth, all of the heroes of faith and probably so many more that were not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 are actually in a place of viewing you and I on earth. And that's why I believe that it says in Hebrews 12 and 2 that we should lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. If they could speak to us, they would say, keep going. If Samson could be heard with all of the incredible testimony that he left in Scripture, which is one of the, one of the most incredibly negative stories in the Old Testament, but yet Samson's name is found in Hebrews chapter 11, that Samson is saying, even if you've messed up, keep going. We are being watched by a great cloud of witnesses that are not complete without us. And they're saying, if we made it, you can make it. I don't know what situation you're in here tonight. I don't know what kind of, where every single individual is here tonight, but regardless of where you're at, you can make it. You are, you are an intelligent, godly person tonight. You are in the house of God. You are not at home. You are not at home. You have prioritized being in the house of God. Somebody clap your hands and give him the praise. You are a wise person. You are a prudent person. You have the right priorities. And the great cloud of witnesses that are enumerated, if they could speak unto us, they would say that you can make it. The second arena is in the midst of the congregation, that will be the focus of my remarks in a little bit, but I want to talk about the third, which is in the individual. In 2 Corinthians, um, Brother Andrew, I know I'm throwing you a curveball here because it's not on the list I gave you, but if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and go to verse number 3, it is the third arena, and it is within each and every one of us. Verse number three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Listen, this is how, this is how microscopic this becomes. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought. The most intensive and the most personal is the arena between my ears. And the way that we win in that arena is every single thought that pops into my brain has got to be scrutinized. Come on, somebody. There are three arenas. One of them is in the corridor of life and recognize that I'm going to get up when my feet hit the ground. No matter if I've fallen, I'm going to get up. Rejoice not over me, mine enemies, for when I fall, I'm going to do what? Stay out of church? No, I'm going to get right back up. The most intensive arena is I'm going to scrutinize every thought because thoughts lead to actions. And actions determine direction. And direction determines destiny. And I did not get in this thing to lose. If I've had some bad thoughts, I'm going to hit the altar. I'm going to find a place to pray. I'm going to get back to the weaponry that is mighty through God to the pulling down of strong. Oh, clap your hands and give God the praise. So the very first arena is talking about the arena that is watching our lives and our direction and our moving forward towards the author and the finisher of our faith. The last arena is talking about within each and every one of us in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our spirits keeping everything what it ought to be. But for a few moments tonight, I want to talk about the arena that is in the congregation. Every time that we are gathered together, if you turn in your Bibles back to 2 Timothy, I'd like to take a little closer look at this and break this down for us. There are five entities that are involved in this second arena. Four of them are enumerated for us. Number one is the servant of the Lord. That is the pastor. That is the evangelist. That is whoever is bringing forth the word of God. He must have a certain spiritual preparation in order to enter the arena. Now, there is so much symbolism that is throughout the New Testament that the Apostle Paul most notably makes references to the Olympics, the very first um, 
he was very acquainted with the Olympiad and some of the references that he used. I fight not as one that beateth the air. And he was talking about training and he was talking about getting a crown and he understood the influence of Greece and Rome. He made references to not, a, not just warfare and not just militaristically, but in the games. And, and he understood that. The servant of the Lord is the first one that is being addressed here as one that is entering into this arena. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Why is that a big deal? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to say that the man of God is being brought into this very rare understanding and revelation of what is at the potentiality in every single church service. Ladies and gentlemen and brothers and sisters, there is not one church service that we can allow to go to waste. I know that we have, um, every year we have a bake um, auction, and we honor the Bible quizzers, and we do things. We honor graduates. We're getting ready to do that in June. These are things that we need to do. But all with that going on, I'm going to tell you that your pastor does not believe that we can waste one service. It's a Tuesday night here in May. It's comfortable. It's warm outside, and, and some of us have worked hard, and I, I tip my hat to you. I respect you. I love you, but I'm going to tell you something. When we get into this type of equation, it, it's removed from the affairs of life. It's removed from your social security number. It's removed from who you are on the job. It's removed from who you are in the neighborhood. We're entering into an arena, a dynamic here, in which has eternal consequences. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. And so the man of God is being the very first one that has to prepare himself. I'm going to tell you, many, many, it took me a long time to figure this out. I was a new pastor. I was a home missionary. Um, I thought I had really good people skills until I started pastoring people. <laughs> and I found out you're not always the problem. I might be the problem. Oh, you can just sit there if you want. That's okay. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm being transparent with you. There are a lot of times that I have to pray and fast above and beyond everything else that you might even consider necessary for one thing, and that is to make sure that my spirit is right. 
I can't put the blame on the congregation. I'm not even here to, I'm not even, here to even refer, refer to that here tonight. I'm saying that when I en- enter into an arena, I have to be able to look beyond flesh and blood. I have to be able to look beyond the affairs of this life. I have to be able to look on all the complexities and the problems and the baggage and the surprises that people bring me, and I have to understand that I am involved with an eternal situation here in this room here tonight. You didn't just waltz in here after eating a good meal and thinking we're going to have a little Bible study. You're here to shake hell. This is so far beyond the concept. Our flesh is constantly, we're all subject to this. Our flesh constantly wants to bring this down to a palatable, understandable level where we think that we can, and and, and it's just a fallen human tendency that we can do this, that I got this. And and I'm going to tell you something that the devil does not want you to stay where you are. He does not want you to go to heaven. He does not want you to influence people on the job. He does not want you to influence people in your neighborhood. He is working. He's got a strategy. He has a stratagem, and we are here to blow that out of the water. We are here to kick that out of the church. We are here to get that out of your life. We are here to get that out of your brain. We are here to get that out of your heart. But it starts with the pastor. I've heard of a lot of pastors blame the church. I came here to praise the church. Because without you being out there, it serves little purpose to me being up here. But there is something going on here, and it goes on every single week that is far beyond flesh. The servant of the Lord must not strive. It took me a few years to figure out what the devil was trying to do to me. And can I just be honest? About 15 people are okay with me being honest. Well, I don't want to be anything but honest, so I'll just take my chance with the rest of you and hope you still love me for being honest. The devil is more, what you are going to learn tonight is I'm going to reveal to you exactly what the devil's intention is for every single church service. The devil wants to sabotage the potential of this service by working on my brain days before I ever get here. get a call on a Tuesday night, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so.
whoever, a brother or sister, family, whatever. Some deal going on. And the devil wants that to get into my spirit so that by the time I get here to church, I'm not even focused on what God is doing. I'm focused on straightening out the problem. It takes an enormous amount of focus and concentration. And any pastor that is pastoring a sizable congregation that is moving on, that is progressive, that is, that is growing, that is going, that is following the promises of God has got to learn this exact thing, and it's right here. The servant of the Lord must not strive. The minute that the servant of the Lord starts fighting with flesh and blood, the devil has won. This that I am sharing with you tonight is a revelation, an apostolic revelation of the Scripture. That every time we gather together, there are consequences from not being in alignment. We can miss it. And I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying that about me. There are people all over this congregation that maybe need deliverance. There's people under the sound of my voice that need to find a place of repentance. There might be people under the sound of my, vo of my voice that need absolute, a genuine move of God for God to bring them out of a situation, whether it's a prison or a cave. And if I am not in tune then I enter the arena and I'm all messed up. The servant of the Lord must not strive. That is the requirement. You cannot be caught up with setting people straight. You can, cannot get caught up with settling a score, taking pot shots at people. How do I know that? I've done that. I'm not perfect. I want to be. Y'all still with me? I know, that, I know that you probably think I wake up and there's a halo. If you think that, you need to come up and pray through tonight. So Because that, that just ain't even true. That's a fantasy. I am flesh and blood. I love God. I am called of God. I am placed by God. I am anointed by God. But with all of that, God expects me to be in the saddle ready to get the job done. Well, I just, I just love that particular church because the pastor is just so pleasant and da-da-da-da. And I'm not... I'm not casting stones at anybody, but I am going to tell you, if I understand this arena that is being described here, it is not a place for placid platitudes. 
It is not a place of neutrality. It is a place of understanding that I need to get in the anointing. That's the whole thing. That the, the servant of the Lord has got to get into that place because once he gets into that place, it sets in motion a supernatural phenomena that is from another world. Now, this is the apostle in 2 Timothy 2 giving this revelation to a young pastor at Ephesus by the name of Timothy. The servant of the Lord must not strive. That is the very first individual. Number two is God is here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad all these other things are here, but I'm glad God's here. How about you? I know you are. Let's just praise him. Let's just recognize him. That's why it's so important that we have a move of God. If you don't like to run, just jump. If you don't want to jump, shout. If you don't want to shout, lift your hand. If you don't want to lift your hands, wiggle your ears. Do something. But recognize that God is here because it starts the butterfly effect. And what little thing is happening here, it gains in power until we are all in the presence of God. If we can all recognize that God is here, then we can all be the recipients of ministry. So God is here. The man of God is here. God is here. Number three, the devil is here. Do not focus on that screaming child. There will always be screaming children. Or we're in trouble. The servant of the Lord is here. God is here. The devil who has snared people either through deception or disobedience, maybe even both, is at work in certain individuals' lives. It's in the scripture. That is a congregational setting. Nobody wants to say, Pastor, yeah, the devil's hanging around. I understand, understand. And that's okay. I already know he's here. In fact, there's some people here today, tonight, that might need to be convinced that the devil goes to church. Go to Luke chapter 4, verse number 33, please. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying, leave us alone, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him. Where did this happen? It happened in church. That is why, and I understand this, that when we really have a move of God and God starts moving in the prayer room, and God starts moving in the praise and in the worship. And people are just, people are being liberated by this. That's, that the devil gets nervous because it's leading up to a crescendo. When flesh is in control in the prayer room, 
then that means that the devil is unchallenged. Servant of the Lord, God is there. The devil is there. And then there's those that oppose themselves. This is a unique phrase. In fact, the verbiage that's being used here in the King James Version, a lot of this is using old English that's not even in circulation anymore, like the word peradventure. The word peradventure was a very well-known word at the time of the King James translation, but it's like out of circulation. But it simply, it simply means if, maybe, possibly, might. This is a group of people either through, through sin, secret sins, guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, is ravaging them. Maybe they're actively involved in secret sin or maybe just somebody that devil's just beating them up because they made one mistake or a series of mistakes. And the devil is telling them you'll never be anything, you'll never rise against anything. They are people that actually oppose themselves. That word, that word opposition means that they are not allowing themselves the liberty and the freedom that has been purchased for them. Now, all this is going on in the arena. And there is a fifth entity, I believe. I believe there's holy angels that are waiting to rejoice if there's repentance. They don't rejoice when you get baptized. They don't rejoice when you speak in tongues. The Bible said that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that changes direction. It's a huge deal. When I felt like God showed this to me, it was, it was overwhelming to me. That a church service is actually an arena. Where either the liberation or the imprisonment of an individual is totally dependent. Let's look at this passage of scripture a little closer and see how the mechanics of this works together. 
Verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. There is a disposition. There is a supernatural, there is a natural disposition that has to be in place so there can be a supernatural work. Must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God might. Everybody look at that word peradventure. As I've already mentioned, that is a, an old English word that is out of circulation. It was in circulation at the time of Shakespeare. But the word literally means maybe, possibly, if, might, and it would read, if God might give them, grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What would the truth be? The truth would be that God really, it could be a variety of things right here, that to one person it might be, that, that God has hope for them. To another person, it might be that God loves me. To another person, it means that God really has forgiven me. To another person, it might mean that, that God has, has already liberated me or, or that God is, already, God is already ready to set me free or hope or faith or, or, or goodness or truth. When they, they're believing a lie, and if they will acknowledge the truth, then God can say, let that person repent. You're saying, well, I can repent anytime I want to. No, you can't. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repent. You can forgive anytime you want to, but forgiveness is not the same as repentance. Forgiveness is saying, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, and he's quick to forgive. But when you repent, it is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It means I'm coming out. It means I'm coming out of this prison. I'm coming out of this grave. I'm coming out of this cave. I'm changing. And God lets you change. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Which means I'm telling you, this is a big deal. So the devil is here. The devil has been working on the servant of the Lord, working on his mind, his heart, getting him focused on some big problem, some situation, some family, some deal, some money problem. The devil's got an inexhaustible bag of tricks. And if he can sabotage your mission, then he keeps people as captives. And Jesus proved in Matthew chapter number 12 that the spirit does not want to leave a human being's life because that means they have to walk through dry places. He feels disembodied. He feels like he does not have environment or purpose if he's not messing your life up. And so these people congregate. The servant of the Lord understands, I have a mission. I have got to get people to accept the truth. 
Not that you're a loser. Not that you're designed to live on the bottom. Not that you'll never rise again. My God, I feel it in my spirit all over me tonight that God sees far more for you than you can. And if you can just say, I believe God tonight for that. I believe God's word. I believe God's spirit. Then God said, let that person change. Let that person's eyes be open. Let that person come out. Let that person... And now you recover your own self. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You don't need anybody to do anything. God says, open up the prison house and you come out on your own. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You have a place, you have a part to play in this. You have a part to play in this. The anointing in any church service, God has a starting point. If I could say it right geographically, according to the blueprint in Acts 2, it begins in a prayer room. In a church service, it begins on the platform. There is a dynamic, this church has got an incredible dynamic. We've had people from all over the world that have come in here and talked about the dynamic that's at work in this church, and this is it very simply. There is an ebb and a flow that takes place with the anointing. The anointing comes on the servant of the Lord. And, and if it wasn't this pulpit, it doesn't even matter what pulpit is. It could just be a, a music stand. But the anointing begins there. And is, is, as that goes out with the word, your response to that. If you just sit there like a bag of nickels and you don't, you're not creating that environment with us that maybe you don't need it, but there might be a guy way back here that need. There might be somebody sitting on the front row that's waiting for it to get to that place where God can. It first, it first starts with the pulpit and the servant of the Lord and then it goes out to the congregation. The congregation's response sends it back to the pulpit. It begins to create a rhythm. It begins to create a cadence. It begins to, it begins to mount in intensity. It begins to mount in power. Any single devil that's caught in that is cast out of here. Any single spirit. You have to understand how this works. That's how you build an apostolic church. It's not having a preacher with a big last name. It's not having a slick program. It's having a congregation that understands the power of the ebb and flow in the Holy Ghost. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Anything caught in that will be liberated by the power of God. My God, let's just clap our hands and give God the praise tonight. We're going to see great revival. We're going to see entire families liberated. We're going to see people liberated. When God grants them repentance, they will walk out of their prison all by themselves. 
I did not learn this in Spokane. I did not learn this in Spokane. I learned this in my home church. I saw it week after week after week. I felt it week after week. And God began piece by piece to reveal to me this dynamic infrastructure in the supernatural. Has nothing. You can look at a person here. God bless you, honey. You're a beautiful example of a pure young lady. You may never know what's going on in her life. The devil does, and God does, and the angels that can't wait for her to repent know. What we need to do is our job. And then the supernatural agency says, see? God says, see? You couldn't throw him off on Tuesday. You couldn't mess him up on Wednesday. You couldn't mess him up on Thursday. You couldn't get him off course on Friday. You couldn't mess him up on Saturday. The congregation's working with the pulpit. And everybody is loose. Let's clap our hands and give God praise. It's not easy, man. We just came through a building program. And I'm not, I shouldn't tell you all this because I don't want you to think I'm feeling sorry for me. I was lucky to get four hours of sleep. One o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to mind my own business. I'm trying to get some sleep. Ding. My eyes are open. Dude, you ain't going back to sleep. I refuse to take two shots of NyQuil. I hate feeling drugged in the morning. So I just dealt with it. Get up, just start praying. Walk through the house, go into our prayer area, just talk to God, love you, Jesus. If you're lucky, you'll go back to bed four or five, get another hour or two of sleep. That's all right. That's all part of the price. That's all the part of the price that has to be paid. But I am not going to get angry at these people because the devil is saying that the building's not going to be done. Honey, the building is done. And the devil lost. The devil lost that battle. The building is done. Now it's time to fill. Now it's time to populate it. Now God's going to bring in people that are struggling with same-sex attraction and don't know who they are and people changing their identities and changing their gender and watch the power of God liberate through a genuine apostolic environment. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody lift your voice. Let's give him praise for a minute. Your mom and dad can get free in this. Your children can get free in this. Your neighbors can get free in this. A backslider can get free in this. Anybody can get free in this. Let's just take a moment. Somebody shout.
When that person that the supernatural says, the devil's in their life, the devil won't let them up. When they go ahead and repent, the angels start twisting. The angels start dancing. The angels... My God, I feel it here tonight. This church has a dynamic that the devil can't stop. The world can't stop. Be loosed in the name of Jesus. Be liberated by the name of Jesus. Be liberated by the power. Education can't do this. A degree can't do this. The only thing that can do this is an anointing from another world. My God, I feel like someone's getting free right now. God does love you. God's not through with you. Your purpose is just beginning. I'm going to go ahead and take a lap. Man, I feel the prophetical coming to pass. I feel like a divine utterance is coming forth. I feel like somebody. God wants to grant that to people. The part that you and I play, all we're doing is putting the odds on God's side. (laughs) I know I don't play a big role in this, but whatever role I can play today, God, I want to see somebody healed. I want to see somebody come out. I want to see somebody delivered. I want to see somebody saved. You can play a gigantic role. It's called the butterfly effect. Just do something. 
Just believe. It's in the word of God. It'll break the back of the spirit of this age because greater is he. The devil might have them all gnarled up and twisted up out there, but the minute you walk in here, you're God's baby. This belongs to God. This turf belongs to God. Which is one of the reasons... I had a meeting today with Brother Aaron Mayo and Brother Jesse, Jesse Gambo. They're all growing. I told him, I said, we moved 100 yards, but I feel like we're fighting that first spirit. And when I came into Spokane, you want to know why that spirit is fighting us? Because that spirit knows. If those people get within in that arena and the praises go up and the power comes down and the glory is flying around and the virtue is flowing like a river. But it's going to break. It's going to break. I ain't backing up. I ain't selling out. I ain't moving out of this. I'm buying a gravesite. It's going to break like iron bars in the divine hands of God. All right. Let's, let's, just, let's just thank God again. Let's praise him. Let's thank him. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for all these wonderful people, people that love God. Even the ones that couldn't be here tonight, bless them too. Bless everybody on the job. Bless people in the neighborhood. Just bless them because there's a saint living there. Just bless the job because there's a saint that works there. Let there be something supernatural. Let there be, my God, I feel it. When this thing hits, it's going to blow everybody's mind that's in this church. In Jesus' name. All right. Shake hands. Be friendly and love one another. I'll meet you in the arena on Sunday. God bless you.